0: there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today I speak with Matthias Veller. He's the CEO of Muse Systems, which is a leading brand of hospitality software to help hotels manage their operations. Matthias started a business with nothing, and just a few years later, his company became 21st in the Financial Times list of the top 1,000 fast-growing companies in Europe. So we, in this episode, we dive into that story. How did he start? What were the highs and lows of the journey? Uh, how did he deal with the COVID pandemic, which obviously hit hospitality and hotels incredibly hard? What were the shifts he had to make? And how did he returned the company to growth so fast? This is a really uh, interesting uh, conversation. We, we we discover some some key insights around people he should have hired before, um, things he would do differently next time, the benefits of bringing systems together to create a more holistic view on the business, and many other things. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Matthias Vella. Hi, Matt, and welcome to the show. Good morning. How are hey. you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to see you today, and thank you for joining me. I do love. Is it is it fish behind you on the background? I think that's it uh, is.
1: It, this a... is pre pandemic. I thought, oh, it's cute if I do like a fish wallpaper behind me because you know once every so often I'll take a conference call from my living room or from my from my <laughs> office at home, and here I am trapped in this office for like 365 days here <laughs> later, and I think the whole team hates it now.
0: so that's a good reason for anyone who's listening on the podcast to go and check out the video because it's very yeah it's like we're we're in a a fish in a fish bowl which is perfect um so Matt, it's great to have you here. Um, you know, I, I found out about you and about Muse, you know, because I think you're number one on the Financial Times list of Europe's fast-growing companies. Now, I know that was pre-COVID and you are in the hospitality sector. So I know that's yeah. been a, a whole journey, but we were just talking before we, we started the show. And, you know, after a difficult year, you're also back onto an exciting path. So I think it'd be great today just to explore that um, and understand... Um, yeah, how you know? How have you managed to scale the company? I think you got up to four hundred, over four hundred people, um, uh, very fast, and and again, you're back onto a new growth trajectory. But before we do all that, why don't you just introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about um, about you, your background, and I guess the question I've got is: I know you had this cushy corporate job at Hilton. Um, you know, probably on the fast track and you left it all to do your own thing. So just as you, yeah. you dive in, I'd love to hear about, you know, what was the fire in your belly that made you, um, you know, change
1: course? So I am um, Dutch originally and, and, you know, like Dutch people do, we get in the caravan in the summer and in the winter we go to Austria. And, and when I first stepped into a hotel at the age of four, I knew that, I honestly knew from that moment that I was gonna work in hotels for the rest of my life. I just loved it. I thought, wow. you know, just the atmosphere of serving people and just like great food all around. And it's, it's you know, traveling is just such a fun experience. And, and mm. I, I just got really passionate about it. And then everything in my life went towards working there. So at 16, I started working in restaurants. Then I joined the hotel school in The Hague. Um, I finished hotel school, and then um, you know a lot of these big chains—they have their graduate programs—and I ended up picking picking Hilton, um, and I did a fast track with Hilton. Um, moved to London, moved to South Africa, and then ended up in Prague um, about 15 years ago now, um, and it's been a ride. Like a, it's a great company to work for. Um, they've been super supportive to my growth. Like almost every year, they would promote me because I, you know, I tend to get bored. I, I am like, great, uh, you know, I can do this job. Uh, what, what What's else next? do you have for me? Yeah. And they were really good until you know you've reached the peak of growth. Um, you know, once once you go into sales director, regional sales director, and, and my next step would probably have been vice president of sales in some way. But it's the same job. It's just more responsibilities, but basically you're doing the same thing. And nice. I really struggled with having an opinion about, you know, I, I had insights on marketing. I'm like, can I have a conversation about marketing? And they're like, no, 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 you're the, you're the salesperson. So you stick to the sales swim lane and, and marketing mm. does marketing. And that was my biggest struggle, I think, um, after 10 years almost with Hilton. Um, and that's when I joined Hughes.
0: Just to say that, that reminds me when I was uh, in consulting, I became a partner uh, in Consulting company. And I think I found the same thing after about a year there. I was like, actually, this is just the same thing now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> time for a change. It's... And so that was like, uh... and,
1: it's, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? So, like, it's a just the game you want to that. play. It's
0: just the game you a want lot to play. I loved the
1: predictability and I hated it. I was like, I was like you know, I know this and I'm, I know what's going to happen. And I don't want to, I don't want to know what's going to happen because I, as a person, won't grow from it. Hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and I think that often, I think there's, there's a trend there, right? When I have these conversations, I think that uh, hunger for growth and for novelty is a key driver, yeah. right? Of a lot of successful leaders, it's obviously, especially the entrepreneurial ones, but I think, you know, a lot of leaders um, you know, who really get, especially get all the way to CEO of whatever company, I think there is a, there is um, a hunger for the, the novelty, right? Because yeah. it's easy to otherwise t- to find a comfortable spot somewhere else and just absolutely. stay there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us about Muse. What's uh, what's that all about? So, uh, you know, having worked in hotels for most of my working life until Muse, I felt the pain of technology. And and when I met Richard, the founder of Muse, uh, you know, he, ha- he was building a hotel in Prague and he was like, I'm building this great like really forward-thinking hotel and i'm not buying a reception desk i hate the reception desk i think it's this beacon of bad hospitality where there's a person typing in data behind the desk and you queue up to it Mm. Um, and he just never purchased the desk and like we became friends over the over the years leading up to the opening of that hotel and i was like you know so what are you doing system-wise because there is no system (laughs) that is completely mobile in Mm. the cloud you know that you can run on a tablet um, and in the end, he ended up asking the the owner of the hotel for 50k, saying if you give me 50k, I'll build it. Because Oracle wanted 50k to get access to their API. I'm like, no, that's crazy. We can totally build this. And like, we're we're young kids, right? We're 30, and we're like, we can totally build an enterprise solution for hotels, uh, which does pretty much everything in a hotel, from housekeeping to front desk to reporting to finance. Um, but you know, sometimes that that ignorance is a good thing. So we jumped like into this challenge um and it was right. april 2013 when when i joined and we were like okay let's start building this pms property management system mm. so we had developers and they were just like drawing out these giant like flowcharts of how the architecture should be and we got to like august i think of that year and and i was like okay, the hotel's opening in next month are you gonna code anything like we need some system um, and they they pulled it off so they it went live it was terrible like it, it, it was crashing, it didn't work. The accounting was completely wrong, um, but we just kept working at it. And, you know, at some point after a year of the accountant screaming and shouting at us, um, you know, we thought like she was wrong. We were like, she's clearly wrong. Like this is what she says does not make sense. Then we read the accounting book and we're like, okay, actually she was right and we were wrong and we need to rewire the system, which we did. Um, so the first years were really hard. Um, and then, you know, at some point, we figure out how to get funding. We 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 switched the company from a Czech company to a Dutch company to get access to faster fundraising, um, and that that really is when everything changed. Once we got our first funding after about three years, um, and it all started to accelerate.
0: Yeah, so I guess if we're looking at this journey of of scaling, um, uh, what what were those major phases, right? So obviously, you just I guess told us the first one was the kind of the seed idea. Yeah, you know, this 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 hotel that needed its own kind of desk free system. You know, you kind of had this three years of experimenting, and then you got your fi- your first finance round. Um, and that was back in, so that was I guess 2016 thereabouts.
1: 16, yeah, correct.
0: Yeah, 16. yeah. So up
1: to 2016, we had another angel investor join, um, and and you know, whenever we are in trouble, and we were in trouble almost every month when we have to do payroll. Um, we were like, oh, you know, Ori, could you help us out again? And at some point he's like, okay, guys, you, you really have to get your shit together.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and those first three years were really hard. Like we literally sometimes had not paid the guys for two, three months. Um, and you can only make up so many excuses for it. Um, but actually they were super supportive to the business and the vision that we had. Um, so, let me, so let me just slow
0: you down on that one. Why was that? Like, how come you had people who were willing to keep going even when they hadn't received a paycheck for a couple of months? Like, what, what did, like How I did think- you do that?
1: So the, the early developers they came right out of school and I think when when we were like built this, like people are gonna buy it and they're like super skeptical, right? In the beginning, they're like, why would anyone want a system that does this? Like that doesn't make any sense. We built it and then they started seeing the traction that we got in, in the Czech mm-hmm. Republic. We got our first 10 customers. And like, oh, wow, people are are actually using this and are very passionate about it. And I think it was the passion of the customers when they were, you know, we would pull them into customer meetings because we didn't have anyone else Mm -hmm. um, to represent that we had a company. And just seeing the passion from customers about our solution and the the hatred against the incumbents in the industry um, and like this, you know, how bad the service was. I think they really saw, oh, there is actually something special here. And they bought into it and we did have a, a lot of fun you know besides having to do the payroll at the end of the month which was a terrifying moment we actually had a fantastic time with, mm. with the early team
0: yeah it's interesting actually right bringing the developers in to see the customers because a lot of companies they they no longer do that right or they they find it hard yeah. to do that uh, and yeah like it's a it, it key motivator TV. like
1: uh, at some point i think the night receptionist got hold of the telephone number of our lead developer and like it, for years, she would call him in the middle of the night, and he was so unhappy that he'd ever done that. And like that was probably his biggest lesson: never give your phone number away.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, especially if you. Yes, <laughs> not every, not every customer understands time zones either, do they? So that no. doesn't. <laughs> um, so so then, obviously, you got your first funding, and I guess at that point, your growth started to kind of really kick off.
1: Yeah, like in 2016, we we had tried fundraising in Czech Republic, and the climate just wasn't right here. And if you go to Western Europe at that time, and you say we're a Czech company, there was this oh, like we don't really understand the Czech. And it was a European country, right? Like, hmm. but there was this immediate like mm, I'm not sure about that. And then we decided, well, I'm Dutch. Let's pretend we're a Dutch company. And then I, we started going around the Dutch funds, um and you know, most of them said, but you have to be a Dutch company. Like that's fine. We'll just we'll just move the IP across and. Once getting the IP across was a six month project with our lawyers, um, and Mm. it was very painful to figure out the transfer pricing, but once we're a Dutch company, suddenly all doors opened, and it was much, much easier, Mm. Um, and and even for US investors later on, moving the company to to a Dutch entity made a lot of sense, and especially now with Brexit. There's obviously a lot yeah. of focus on the Dutch market as well. So mm-hmm. they're really benefiting from this. Um, so our first funding came from a, a fund there. And then we started building a sales team and a marketing team. And like the, the, the core things you do in a business and up until that point, you know, me and Richard, we were everything. We were support and sales and product management. We didn't even know product management existed at that point. We were just designing products um, without the knowledge of how you'd build that organization. Um, and then at that point, it really started to professionalize. But the real pivotal moment was when we had our Series A and we brought in Notion Capital in London, who are a SaaS specialist fund. So they only focus on SaaS A and B series, kind of. So you really are in this environment of really cool startups. Um, they bring them all together and and have great sessions. And I think that really accelerated the leveling up in our organization as oh, well.
0: And what, was the, you know, what were the insights that you had around that time which really helped you scale, right? Which really took away some of those barriers to growth?
1: Like, I think uh, there was one big one, um, you know, I remember being in this session, this is a woman um, that Notion brought in, Melissa Di Donata, who came from SAP. Um, and she is, you know, within three seconds, she could figure you out. And she, I remember her looking around our leadership, like me, Richard and Greg, our chief commercial officer. And she's like, where's your head of sales? um and you know within like five seconds she'd figured out that we we had underinvested in our sales organization um and she's like you if you do anything and you walk out of this room go and find a head of sales because somebody needs to go talk to these customers um, and it can't be the chief commercial officer because he needs to build a strategy and that was a really powerful moment for us i think
0: so that was what was happening was that your chief commercial officer was doing that as well as other things he was like
1: mostly sales at that point like we marketing mm. we had totally underinvested on so only Only um, last year, January, we hired a chief marketing officer. And that was really the first time we made a a real investment. And we actually separated it out from commercial. And we said, marketing actually needs to be its own entity in the leadership team and own representation. And we brought in a heavy-hitting chief marketing officer. And, oh, my God, like, I regret that we haven't invested in marketing in all these years. Because once you get that machine working, it is incredibly powerful. Um, And, you know, we thought, we'll just write a few blogs and have some basic website that will do the job but actually you know branding is so much more than just a new logo um, and we just didn't know and I think yeah. that's that a hu- very welcome investment we made
0: it's interesting one of the little rules of thumb I give people when I'm talking about organizational design is um, you know you should never put um, long-term organizations under the remit of short-term organizations right so in other words if marketing is with underneath sales marketing becomes basically sales enablement, sales support. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's need for that, right? There's a need for some yeah. of those things, but it becomes very tactical because at the end of the day, sales is responsible for short-term quarterly numbers, right? Where you move marketing out as its own organization, it's then able to think about, sure, some of the short-term stuff, but also long-term brand development, marketing strategy, positioning, yeah. the more strategic things, right? And it, it happens in all sorts of places, right? Where you have these kind of long-term, you know, remits
1: and if if they're
0: inside something which has a short-term remit it becomes I mean it's it's very very hard and
1: we're in a digital business right so like digital marketing is so critical to get right and Mm. we just we just didn't know like it's the the unknown um we're like you know we have a website and we do some ad spending on it yeah sure we didn't have someone check it and actually, now you look at it and in hindsight, you're like, shit, like, how did we get this so wrong all these years?
0: These conversations are all about scaling yourself to scale your business. And one of the biggest barriers that stops us from doing that is getting stuck in operations and not spending time on the most valuable strategic work. So I do recommend that you take our free executive productivity assessment. It's just 10 quick questions to find out exactly where you are on the journey to executive time management mastery. You'll then discover how you can free yourself up for more strategic activity. To take the assessment, head to xquadrant.com go slash productivity assessment with a hyphen between those two last words. Now,
1: back to the conversation.
0: And what kind, of things were you do- what, what kind of things are you doing differently now than as a result of having that CMO in the business? Like, I think
1: it's really the solution-based selling that you know we were selling feature, 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 and that was all we did. And suddenly mm. no, the, she, you know, our chief marketing officer was like, let's step back and let's see what the bigger story is. And, and you know, we, we interviewed our customers and, and listened to how they talk about us so that mm. we could use that language back to other customers because we were using our own words and we'd hoped that they would adopt them. But they didn't like they were talking about our system in their own words um and just sometimes actually just doing 20 customer interviews and recording it and making the whole company Mm. listen to it to build these buying personas um you know that was a very welcome step that we'd never done
0: yeah i love it great so um so that's one of the one of the key things obviously that you you did really was in terms of the on the sales side right getting a sales officer getting a marketing officer as well as commercial um is, it, is there something else that you're looking back you know on, that, on the last few years you think I mean it might be i mean that, that we've talked there about the demand side right generating demand obviously, what about in terms of the organization's ability to respond to that demand right obviously growth pains can be difficult like, when you're growing at that heart you know at that level
1: yeah like and we we ended up throwing a lot of people at problems as we were scaling up we we scaled up in two thousand and nineteen from about two hundred people to four hundred and fifty. Um, in a really short time span and you know as the demand started growing we're like we need to implement these hotels so we're like oh crap that's just you know one person could we were going on site to a hotel to train them to get the hotel life so one person could maximum per month do about three hotels because that doesn't scale they have to travel everywhere Mm -hmm. Um, and what one of the things that COVID has really taught us is actually doing everything digitally suddenly one person can do six hotels because they don't have to travel. They can multitask. We can do combined sessions. So actually COVID was an accelerator of our own innovation in the back office. But in 2019, you know, we literally had all this demand come in and we like just kept throwing more junior people out who were able to Mm -hmm. train these hotels to go live faster and faster. And in hindsight, it wasn't the smartest thing. Had COVID not happened, we probably would have learned some lessons but definitely not as aggressive as the stance that we've taken now where we say everything is remote and online and we're never going back on site because it doesn't make sense we can do better training online than we can do on site
0: Mm. yeah yeah i can see that right because you can standardize you can um
1: yeah you have specialists on different uh, topics of the training right so if you have one person come on site they have to do the whole training for accounting for for front office for revenue management but actually, when you do that remotely, you can have different specialists cover different topics. And actually, mm-hmm. the hotel gets a much better experience in the end.
0: Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so then I know, of course, so, well, let me let me ask about pain. So I mean, that was one of the pains where I guess you had so many people. But in a sense, at least it was kind of working and you were growing. You know, were the things which you felt really held you back? In, like in t- Because obviously you had, like, I'm just imagining going from doubling the size of your company in a year or whatever it was must have created a whole load of issues around i don't know just people right and onboarding and management and i mean how how did that yeah. work
1: and it, it really comes around leveling up the talent in the org at the higher levels mm. um you know most of the team up to 2019 was the early startup team that was in the leadership functions mm. um and we 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 you know a lot of us were able to scale up, but sometimes you don't, right? Some people don't necessarily scale up to that level at the speed the come, and the organization is changing so incredibly fast. It's almost a different company every year that you go through this cycle. Um, and we've started bringing in outside talent. So our chief people officer, our chief marketing officer, we've just hired a chief, um, uh, chief customer officer coming into San Francisco. And it's really finding that balance between the founding team, which is still very, very critical to the organization, but also then having a senior team that have been in organizations that have scaled up beyond any of the sizes that we're going to aim for Mm. in the next two, three years um, to really bring a different perspective in the room. And we're doing that now. We've we've just introduced an extended leadership team um, because we're really leveling up the next level in the organization um, so that you really have not just the eight people at the top that have all the talent and then a very junior team around them. We really wanted to build a much more layered organization in terms Mm. of talent. An experience.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's important because uh, I, I see it as like an it's um what do you call it? It's the um, the muscle structure right of a body, you know. So the nervous system, if you like, right. So you need to be able to have um, this kind of um, hierarchy throughout an organization, not hierarchy, but uh, yeah, this muscle structure, so that when you want the body to move, the organism to move, you know, you can actually do it. Otherwise, you've gone to cut yeah. this little tiny. Uh, It's like an amoeba, right? You've got a central CEO, founder, or small team, and then you've got this wobbly (laughs) exterior. And how do you actually get the the organism to move when you need it to move? And you can't do that just with a tiny leadership team and then an amorphous mass. You need to kind of build some sinews in the body. You need to kind of have an extended team who's also going to be able to represent the management.
1: Exactly, exactly. And without without just building in that structure of, layer upon layer upon layer, you know, yes. we really do fight the bureaucracy and it's hard because yeah. as you scale, bureaucracy doubles in size beyond anything. Mm. Um, and and it is a constant fight against it. And like, if I hear someone's like, Oh, we let's, let's create an Excel sheet and keep a manual track of it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's get our business operations team to figure out a way to automate that. And that is a constant thing. We're fighting, like not having Excel sheets or word documents um, with shared access where people are updating things manually. And it is a hard, um, not everything can be automated, but a lot of things beyond what I could ever imagine can be automated.
0: Mm, yeah. That's that's a great, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great point. It's something I look at even my, you know, in my own business, which is obviously a very different scale um, because when you get something automated and streamlined, it's just an asset that you've built yeah. and it's done. Whereas if it's, as uh, like you said, it's ad hoc, yeah, like, and, and, so. and
1: it's why, you know, we, we were using all kinds of back-office systems, right? We were on Pipedrive for sales. We had HubSpot for marketing, for operations we used Intercom. We used Sales Machine, all these disjointed systems. And with Zapier, you can kind of hack your way together. But actually, we've now decided to go all Salesforce. So we are ripping out everything and we're moving everything to Salesforce. And we're in the middle of the process. We've just moved sales a few months ago, operations last week. Um, we're now moving our support also onto Salesforce. Um, we've interconnected it with HubSpot, and suddenly we have reporting of the whole journey of the customer. Um, and it's mm-hmm. something that I've been dreaming of for years. And you know, in the early days, you you know you you don't go for the most expensive solution. You go for whatever is the problem. Let's throw a system at that, and then you build this really complex infrastructure, but actually streamlining all the, it all, and you just feeling the team have a sigh of breath of relief because suddenly they have access to all of it in one system. They don't need to log into 15 different systems to get access to the information. Um, it, it's been um, very interesting to see how accepting the team has been of these migrations of solutions to one bigger solution.
0: Mm, yeah, That's a, yeah it's, it's a great point, right? It's, as you go, you often just solve the problems as,
1: as they come yeah. And it gets messier as, yeah. it, as, as yeah. it goes on. It doesn't on.
0: feel like it at the time. You feel you've got a really, you found a really cool tool for a really yeah. pressing problem, <laughs> right? <coughs> um, yes, fantastic. And so perhaps tell us a bit about the the um, the last year because obviously COVID hit, you're in hospitality. Yeah. Um, really you're still in startup <laughs> mode, right? I mean, it's startup scale-up mode, right? You're still, yeah. uh, you know, you have a burn rate and you're kind of, pushing through to the next uh, investment round so just just tell us about you know how did you you know half your hot- all your hotel you know your hotel customers I guess suddenly shut their shut their doors Correct. in in March last year so how did you respond what did you need to do
1: yeah like we scaled up to 450 people at this time within the last year we'd open up 12 offices in all main locations that you can think of Paris Amsterdam Munich anywhere that you could think of that's a prime hospitality location. Um, and then March 12th, hit, I remember that was my birthday and you know, Trump made that announcement on television that they were closing the border of the US and like that cannot happen. And it did. And suddenly the occupancies plummeted um, and, and our business model is we make SaaS revenue. So software as a service revenue um, and then we make payments revenue and the payments revenue is transactional. So it disappeared overnight, literally went down to 10%. Right. Um, so if, if half of your revenue disappears overnight you get on a call on the weekend with your leadership team and you basically say, guys, this, this won't work. Like if we're going to be burning through two, 3 million a month, we will be dead in four months. That's literally, you know, mm. I, I, that was a back of the napkin calculation yeah. i made. Yeah. No science behind it. We're gonna be dead in four months and we have to take drastic measures. So we said, we don't wanna fundraise when there's a pandemic going on and probably the economic crisis that will be the fallout of it. Yeah. So let's assume that for 18 months, we will not be fundraising um and let's work backwards so let's start at the bottom line say this is what the burn rate can be to get us to 18 months and then work upwards and on paper it's an easy exercise because you start to um you know cross off functions that you don't need but the the human reality of it was horrific like you had to let go people remotely um we let go about 220 people in a very short time span we were like Mm. cut once cut deep is what people told us but if you have you know, HR departments in 12 countries. It's hard, especially like France and Holland where you have these bizarre label contracts and unions that you have to take care of. So it's taking us um, a very long time to get through that mess. Um, and I think we reached about October last year um, when everyone was still in mourning because we let phenomenal people go into business. Um, but it was also a point where we realized, okay, we've been wrong about one assumption, which is what we made at the beginning. Is that we thought that no one was going to buy our product for the next year. Um, that we had to do everything to maintain our current mm. customer base. And that assumption wasn't right because actually customers were buying. We grew our portfolio in the last year by about 45%. Because you know, if your hotel's empty and you're doing everything remote, well, an on-premise solution doesn't work for you because mm. you need to dial into a remote server. And actually, it opened up the eyes of hoteliers who have been, you know, holding back on innovation. Um, and actually, our sales teams were all hitting goals. Like every salesperson hit their goal, got bonuses paid out last year, which is crazy in this time. But it's because suddenly our industry was ready to buy a solution and really innovate and think about how to rewire. So I think in October, uh, September, October last year, we really said, okay, guys, culturally, I get it. We are upset, but we have to turn this point and look towards the future. And we really made a conscious effort to say, okay, let's look to the future because actually it's a very bright future. The churn was elevated, but it wasn't even above 10%, um, which if you think about it, uh, today still, mm. right? So most of the industry is reopening, you think. Actually, a third of our hotels are still completely closed. They have not had any occupants in the last seven days. Um, and it's going to take a, a while for all of them to, to reopen effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for only 5% additional churn to happen because of COVID, it's crazy. Like It, it just shows you how sticky our product is in the hotel we're the last solution Mm. to take out so i think the the crisis it focused us on centralizing centralizing the business building in lots of automation actually customers are buying and the churn is super low so we're right now i'm very optimistic about what the future will look like for muse and
0: that's a great way perhaps just to move on to the this is the final question really or final set of questions which is really around the future right so you had this huge growth you had covid where you had to kind of cut you know half your business rewire automate reconfigure you know replan uh, and obviously i know you said you know you're now on a you know back on that growth trajectory you know you're able to start to hire again you're able to think about your next financing round um where would you like to be like, as a business, you know, if you're looking back in, say, five years, what, what, what's in your mind? What's your vision, right? Where would you like to get to?
1: So, like, we've always had big dreams. No one just believed us. Um, and more and more, it comes in focus that actually we can achieve some of these things. You know, obviously, we'd love to be a decacorn in five years' time, um, but that will require a lot of hard work. Um, in the hospitality space, we aim to be the preferred supplier for hotels, um, one of the things that COVID has done is pushed a very different type of workforce, and I think people will be working partly remote. Um, yeah. You know, they can travel a lot more, but also work from their space, from their rooms, or from the hotel. Yeah. So what we're doing is we, we're basically rewiring the system to enable not just sales of bedrooms, but also to sa- you know sales of we call it spaces and objects. So it could be a co-working space that a hotel would have, or the ability to turn a bedroom into an office. So we're really making the system much more flexible to cater to, um, you know, different objects and spaces, but also time units, right? So if you want to stay for a month, great, we'll give you a monthly rate instead of a nightly rate. Um, And that's what we're building. So we put all of our product teams on the long-term future of news because we know that that's going to stay. That's one of the remnants of Mm -hmm. COVID, which I think is a good thing, that flexibility of workforce. And our industry is jumping into it. And I saw a press release yesterday from our core that they are doubling down. On having this remote work and that they're really supporting it and the ability to have mm. uh, a workspace plus a, a bedroom space, um, and I think that's definitely something that's going to stay and that's something mm. that we're jumping into at, at the moment. So,
0: well, it's interesting. I mean, my experience from in my days at Cisco, we really moved into remote work you know, 15 years before everybody else because we were selling the you know <laughs> the collaboration technology. You know, yeah. was it actually? You know, it starts to change because well, Cisco had a lot of offices all around the world. So, but I think yeah, I think there is a stage where when you start to become less office centric, there becomes another need for when you do want to meet up, where do you actually meet? Right. And yeah. you know, do you have to find a hotel to stay in plus a co-working space or et cetera, et cetera? So I think there will be innovation in this space as as
1: people. For sure, for sure. And, and and from that point of view, it's very exciting because suddenly this is like a lot of this dead space that sits in hotels, like if you think about a hotel Bedroom, it only mm. gets used about fifty percent of the day. The other fifty percent actually doesn't get usage. So if you can figure out a way to mm. to make that more flexible, um, it's going to be very beneficial to the owners of the hotels because you make a lot more revenue from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about what are you, um, Matt? What about you in terms of your own your own leadership, right? What how are you going to need to shift how you lead, right? How, you know how you run the yeah, company.
1: It's it's something I think about a lot, and it's it's you know, you, in this role, you go from doing everything. Like I was doing support and sales and implementations to managing managers. And suddenly I'm leading a team of people that are actually sometimes even better than I am. And it is scary sometimes to be around that much talent, but they lift you as a CEO up as well. And they push you out to, to develop and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a new coach so that, you know, it's good to refresh your coaching regularly that you get a different perspective on the business and a different person to come in to challenge you. Um, And, and it's, you know, I just love learning. Like I get bored if I do the same thing. And I've in eight years with me, not one day been bored in my job. So I'm still on this growth trajectory, but I also realized that possibly in a few years time, I will have reached my peak and we may have to bring in someone else. And I think it's good to have that mindset at all times in the back of your mind that, you know, I don't want to be a blocker to the business. And if at some point I feel I become a blocker because I can't grow up fast enough Mm. for the business, it's okay. We'll bring in someone else and, and, and that's okay. I hope that it won't come. And I hope if it comes not to come soon, but that's definitely in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, you're right. You, you know, your your team's leveling up and, and that's going to have an impact on you. Is there a specific thing that you might need to change in the way that you say lead your team? Do you see?
1: I think I'm not necessarily always very strategical. I, I don't like to, I'm very operational. I like to get my hands dirty. I want to know what's going on around the business. Um, but sometimes it's good to step away and actually write a company strategy. And our leadership team at some point last year, they said, okay, this is all well and great, but what is the strategy? And and I was so frustrated by it. I was like, fine, I'll write a strategy. And then I sat back and I, you know, me and Richard, we sat in the garden and we we spent hours writing this company strategy. And in hindsight, I'm like, shit, I really should have done that <laughs> way sooner <laughs> right. um, because suddenly the whole company gets clarity on what the company strategy yeah. is. And, you know, now we're a half year away and we're rewiring the strategy, just looking at does it make sense what we're doing? And I think um, I need to learn to, to be more strategic and, and really take a lot of, of time to think about the long term strategy of news. And I like to just get into the nitty gritty of it. And I need to step away from that as, yeah. I, as I grow. Yeah,
0: yeah. say we always do what made us successful last year and not what makes us successful yeah. next year. And that's <laughs> always the, the tricky thing. Well, hey, Matt, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing some of your journey. It sounds you know, extremely exciting, right? You've had ups uh, you and downs, but uh, it sounds like you are also in the right place with the, you know, with the right product at the right time in this sector. So it's been great Thank to you. hear about what you're doing and just share some of your, yeah, the inside story.
1: Nice. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, well, perfect. So if anyone wants to find out more about you or about Muse, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, like we are as transparent as an organization you can get. If you go to muse.com, dot com, mm-hmm. we literally publish everything about our company on there.
0: Perfect. Okay, well, we'll put that into the show notes. And um, nice. um, well, that's it. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been great speaking to you. And I look forward to uh, watching the evolution of the company over the next few years. Nice. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.